but. All right, dear Jesus, thank you for this opportunity we have to uh, hang out together today, to be inspired by your story through Scripture, uh, especially as we talk about hope uh, when a future overwhelms us. We just ask that uh, you just grace us with your presence today, that each of us feel your warm embrace, that through our discussions and our times of honesty and uh, hanging out together today, that each of us feels closer to one another and closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I always, it's so funny, I'm on a rabbit trail already and we haven't even started. Uh, my minister growing up would always say like almost the exact same prayer or like parts of it and I'd always be like, that's really lame, you should think of something else. And now I have like parts of that opening prayer that never change because it just seems like the right thing to say and you're like, well, tough luck. And I don't know why I'm talking about it just to justify it to you and I don't need to, but uh, I know you all love it. Uh, so this morning, I want to talk about finding hope when the future may overwhelm you. We're headed into a new year. Last year was a tough year for me. Like there was a lot of people who needed to meet because it was a tough year on you guys. Like it was a, it was a harder year emotionally and, uh, there was just stuff going on. And so I hear so many people say, thank God 2017 is done and they're finding hope for 2018. And so we want to look to the scriptures in this. Now, we've had a couple of great messages. They're online, the podcast, if you want to, the last couple of weeks. Last week was a simplicity discipline um, that really gets us into this place of um, just having a quiet life that emulates Jesus more. The week before that was our talk on um, inspiring words for this next year that will guide us. Uh, and that one, if any, definitely check out because it's a practice I've done the last two years and it really has shaped my year so much. Uh, talk to Allie, talk to Jared, talk to some people who've been practicing it since it that are really excited about it and it will make you want to listen to the podcast. I remember when I was a kid, I have a ton of cousins, a ton of cousins. Both my parents are from big families, seven and eight child families which maybe to some of you is not big, because when I was growing up, I didn't think that was big. Fif- big was like the families who had like 12 to 15. You're like, oh my God, you have a big family. But, so there was lots of cousins. They have more than 50 cousins between the two sides, and there was always fun to be had. Um, no matter where we were or what our parents dragged us into, we were able to turn it into some kind of adventure and fun. You might have had expectations of what you were hoping would happen and maybe someone will bring a Game Boy to Grandma's and we'll get to try out something new or who knows what it is and that didn't show up but it didn't mess you up. You figured it out. If you were too noisy inside and they kicked you outside, like you found a way to play, to have fun, to make the best of it. You just found a way to make it happen no matter what. And even if a cousin was a dick to you last time, like you just don't hold it against them and you're back playing again and there's just something about that childhood, that early childhood that we're just so resilient. It doesn't, there was nothing that's happened to us yesterday that seems to be holding us back. We're not throwing out these expectations of what we're hoping this gathering looks like in order to have fun. We really are rolling with whatever happens. It just seems to be this, no matter what comes my way, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm going to have fun. We're going to make this an adventure. And just, there's so many fond memories from that too. Just that, the simplicity of, we're just going to make the best of whatever shakes out this way. And I even remember we screwed up sometimes, big time screwed up, where you'd get disciplined or punished. I remember one time, uh, my favorite cousin, Jesse's my, my age, we had sticks in the fire because there was like a campfire going and they got like red hot in the end and they looked like lightsabers. And so we decided to have a stick fight and I burnt him really bad on the arm. 
Yeah, I know what you're thinking. I won, and I was feeling really good about it, except for the burn mark on the arm. But man, like, yeah, we were both disciplined. Like, we were in trouble. And then after that, it was like, back to playing again. No big deal. Like, whoops, I guess you don't play with sticks that are glowing for the last 12 inches of them. You learn your lesson, and you keep going on. But there's so much worrying as I get older that just seems to be part of life. It seeps in. I don't know if it's culture, just the progress of growing older, that you just think it's, it's not as easy to be that resilient, to just throw something off, to look to the future. And I'm an analyst. Like, I, I am dorky that way. One of my strengths for Strength Finder is futuristic, so I'm looking out ahead constantly. It's just part of my personality. And if you don't like what you see, it can, it can worry you. It can freak you out. Um, if something doesn't seem sustainable, these actions that we keep doing aren't going to keep us in the right direction. We need to fix that. We need to go somewhere else. And so that's kind of where worry starts to set in for me. Maybe it's this community. Maybe it's two Sundays that um, it was super cold weather and so maybe our attendance was down a little bit, which is awesome because it's super cold today and it's great. Or who knows what it is, but all of a sudden my brain will start going like, well, what is this spell for tomorrow? And trying to work out the equation of every, pretty much every life event that happens. I'm just spelling it forward. Like, what's this do for tomorrow? What's this say for something else? We have a work meeting. Someone brings something up, and you're just like, how is this going to change? It just, I'm, I'm futuristic, and so it tends to roll. Overanalyzing uh, so that I make the right decision, so that I buy the right thing that I'm not going to be annoyed with tomorrow and be like, that was the wrong thing, and so I'll spend all this time analyzing, and I'll get it. I'm like, oh, this isn't what I was thinking, or I don't know what. Um, but I'm a, I'm a dreamer too, and so if I find myself dreaming too much that life looks different than now, I definitely can't enjoy where I'm at at the moment. So I've spent the last year, and it kind of was because of some guiding words this last year, really trying to just be content with the moment, not looking to have something else, have something look differently, just to be like, well, what do I, what do, I do with what's right in front of me? And it was a really great year, and it's a, year, it's a practice that needs to spill over into the new one, I don't know about you guys. Have you ever been so consumed with something that's about to happen in the future or can happen in the future? Maybe it's a possibility or maybe it's the repercussions of some actions of you or someone around you that it affects how you live your daily life, that it just is what you think about then. Or um, are you in that place where what's going on in the world around us right now? Maybe someone you're supposed to trust is just vomiting on Twitter, things that make you want to curl under a bush and hide. I I don't know what's going on, but it's normal in life to expect to have encounters that are going to change futures, flip things up, um, that we're going to be affected by other people's decisions, our own decisions. This stuff does happen. It's the, where do we find this in scriptures? What does this do for us? How do we find hope if things do seem overwhelming, if um, the future is out of our control. We don't have grasp on it. Maybe it's success in your job or a school that you applied to and you're really hoping that uh, you'll get good grades or these grades will turn into the job of your dreams and now you're past that, looking for a job. I, I don't know. Each of us are in such a different place, but I know one thing from my coffee conversations and dinners with all of you this last year that sometimes the whirlwind of what's going on around us is definitely causing you to feel shaky and not have that deep abiding hope on the inside about what's happening in the future. How do we stay level-headed when we're continually trying to 
focus on what's next to plan, to move ahead? How do we stay grounded and not lose the presence to be able to enjoy, to have that childhood make the best out of whatever comes? Really what we're talking about is trust, to trust that God's got us in his hands, that he can make the best of any situation. And wherever we're going, something beautiful can turn around from this. Um, Brendan Manning, who's a fantastic author, if you haven't read anything by him, I will definitely recommend some stuff. He says, the troubled eyes and the furrowed brow of the anxious believer are the symptoms of a heart where trust has not found a home. And Francis of Assisi has said, the devil rejoices or never rejoices more than when he robs a servant of God his peace of heart. There's something about this peace, this contentment, this trust in God that again should be something that it's almost like something we wear, that we put on, that's visible to others, that is part of our life. And it's not just we do it because we should for others. It's, this is the culture of heaven. When the Bible talks about the kingdom of heaven is here among us already, his Holy Spirit is here among us already, he's talking about his culture. I was just talking with one of you this last week about words in Scripture that don't make sense anymore, that uh, when it was written, kingdoms were all around them, and kingdom was the word that made sense, and today kingdom is not the right word. When you see the kingdom of heaven in scriptures, it's, it's really God's culture has invaded this place. His ideas on how to live life are already all around us, are already being able to be fulfilled, to be grasped, to be lived out. Finding peace, finding hope when a future overwhelms us is one of these ways. Our reading this week was from Philippians 1. If you read along, I put it, I told you about it last Sunday, and then we put it online a few times. The whole Philippians 1 is fantastic. I'm not going to read from all of it, but I have a few things I want to read. I'm not going to put all of it on the screen, just a couple verses, but just listen along as well. And it's um, Philippians 1, I'm going to start at verse 6. Paul is writing to this church, and he says, I am so confident that the Creator who has begun such a great work among you will not stop in mid-design, but will keep perfecting you until the day of Jesus the Anointed, our liberating King, returns to redeem the world. Before I read on, I just want to stop right here because this is so much power. This makes so much sense to us. And this is so hard to live out as a follower of Jesus sometimes because we want to be the one perfecting us. We want to be the one doing the work. We want to change. If there's something we don't like about ourselves, we've set goals or resolutions or whatever to change that one thing. But grace flips all this on its head and says that he doesn't want you chasing after, running around, trying to be the one changing everything. He's already begun changing on the inside of you. His Holy Spirit is already mending, healing, inspiring, growing you. Can we trust that what he has started, this great work that's begun on the heart, on the inside of you, that he will perfect it? He's not going to just be like, oh, shit, I forgot about Steve. Man, I got busy this week. Steve, I'm so sorry. I forgot about you. I got it. Let's get back to Steve. Or put your, fill your name in that blank. He's not forgetting about you. Something has started. Something is growing. Something is simmering. The stew of your life is adding flavor and is changing. Maybe shaking your head. Bad analogy. All right. You ever watch the Muppets? Those two old guys that sit up and make commentary? That's what it's like being a minister with your wife and your daughter in the front row. And it doesn't end right there. It carries into your week. 
they may look sweet and innocent, but they are meaner than those old dudes sometimes. So, just kidding. I love you too. So do we, yeah, nice. So he won't, he's not going to stop mid-design. Verse 9, he says, here's what I pray for you. And he begins this prayer. He says, Father, may their love grow more and more in wisdom and insight. So they will be able to examine and determine the best from everything else. This swirl of things going on around us, Paul says, he's praying that we would have wisdom to just see through that and see the best. See what actually matters. If we jump down to verse 12, he says, I've got good news, brothers and sisters, and I want to share it. This is an interesting passage he starts getting into because Paul's writing from prison here and he says, believe it or not, my imprisonment has actually helped spread the good news to new places and new populations. Word has spread through the ranks of the imperial guard to everyone else around me that I'm in prison because of my faith in the anointed one. My imprisonment has instilled courage in in most of our brothers and sisters and so they're trusting God more and more and they've even been more daring as they speak this good news without fear. So he starts telling the story of, yeah, I'm in prison, but this might seem bad or gloomy, or you might look at this and be like, man, one of our inspiring leaders has found himself in prison, but he's like, this is actually a good thing. This has only caused the gospel to spread more, like this good news. Even the imperial guard, this imperialist uh, society that is oppressing these Jews at the time. He's like, even they're noticing what's going on because of this. So he's like, take heart. Even this situation that looks glum isn't glum. I can see beyond this. I can clear the distractions and see that God is even using this, even this hard time to turn into something beautiful. There's been so many times in my own life where things seem hard and then afterwards you get through it and you realize how much you learned, how much you grew, the friendships that bonded because of the struggle that you had together and where you're at now and you go back and be like, would I erase that? Not that you, I want rough situations to happen to me but the amount of growth that happened because of it, the amount of strength that caused my marriage or my friendships, my church community because of it. Man, we're, we've learned so much, we've grown so much, we're better off for it. You see that he turns, there's that verse that Paul uses that he turns any situation, even situations meant for evil he can turn around for good and use for our benefit. But all these things are to instill this base layer of trust that we're not freaking out, that we can look forward and even if it looks freaky, gloomy, we have no idea what's going on or if someone's going to send nuclear weapons across the sea, we can trust that God's always had us in his hands and there's always been people freaking out throughout the ages of time and he's always been there reminding, you can relax, you can settle, you can trust, you can look through this. Some of us are in a season on purpose right now that we don't realize that this is maybe an answer to prayer that we've been praying, that this season that you're in is maybe, maybe you were hoping for a job. Uh, I know we've been praying with Brother Hogan for a job and he wants it, but he's get this, this opportunity to have some time to himself. So many of us seem so busy with our jobs and not saying that you haven't used it wisely, but we get this, this gift or Jared gets hit by a car last year riding his bicycle and is in, has a brain injury and we're talking on the ride in this morning. He's like, man, my pace that I've had to slow down this much, let my brain heal. He's like, it's, it's been so good. He's using this situation that seems like it could be horrible. He's, it's amazing the benefit that he's been able to glean and find trust in. 
In verse 27, Paul says here in Philippians 1, here's what I want you to do. Conduct yourselves. I think I have a slide on this one. And maybe not. Um, Conduct yourselves as true and worthy citizens of the anointed gospel so that whenever I make it or don't make it to see you, I will at least hear that you continue to stand united in one spirit, single-minded in purpose as you struggle together for the faith of the gospel. There's something about that together struggling, being honest, wrestling, talking about when it's hard, celebrating when it's good, using every opportunity to our advantage. Alexa gets the quote-unquote blessing of learning how to live in a frigid uh, part of the country, growing up Southern California and now being exposed to tropical Minnesota winters. Um, But who knows what her dreams or plans may take her someday that that's exactly what she needed was a season of, man, I went through that cold winter in Minnesota with Ryan. Maybe it's, they needed to be inside more together, snuggling, watching the fake fireplace on Hulu and dreaming of warmth. I, I don't know, but can we trust that there's something more going on? He says at the end, don't be paralyzed by what your opponents are doing. And then he praises the steadfastness of their faith despite the opposition that seems around them. And so I ask, what do we learn from this people that is being oppressed, that seems like there's no hope? Is there anything that mirrors what we have going on in our own life today? Can we take this message from Paul that says that we can hope, we can clear no matter what is going on, and we can still trust that God is doing something better, or at least he's taking us to a better place or turning something that was meant for evil around for good? Because this is how we grow by grace. It's not each one of us struggling to show one up the other person. It's together we struggle, we learn, we grow, and we trust that he's doing something on the inside of us, that he has begun a great work among us and he's not going to stop mid-design and he will keep perfecting us. That annoying tick that you have, that ability to say something stupid to your lover, your mom, your friend, he's bringing and understanding, helping you see what's that, what that's doing. You're learning, you're growing. Maybe you're going to meet someone else one day that will need to hear the struggle you went through with that. Paul says we forget what lies behind, but there's also moments where he says we don't worry about tomorrow either. It's this not finding ourselves lost in the past or broken by the past and not dreaming so far ahead or hoping so far ahead or being delusional about what's ahead that we... Forget to live in the moment that's right in front of us because paying attention to the gift that he's given you right now or finding it. What is the gift in this moment? What is the good news of the moment of my life that I'm living right now? Where I'm at with my relationships, where I'm at with my work, where I'm at in my proximity to whatever. What is the good news of going on right now? What can I celebrate? What is God doing right now that maybe I just need to focus on more? Enjoy, receive, learn, grow, Maybe that's the part of getting you to the next place. To live in the present with God means to trust deeply that what's most important in life possibly is right in front of you right now. That he's already handed it to you, that he's already given it to you. You just don't realize that we don't see it because we're, we're, we're dreaming, we're hoping, we're wishing, we're, we're somewhere else. We're not here. Little kids do this. Little kids can be in the moment. They can make the best of every moment. They can 
It's just amazing. I love talking to kids. You ask them what they want to be in there. I have no idea. 11th grade, I have no clue. Fantastic. Just keep, you're not old enough to need to know that yet. Just keep going. Have fun, learn, grow. I think it's this working on trust and hope and peace that uses us to grow. It's this slowing down, not you trying to do more, but what's God already doing? This awareness of what's going on in our life already, what he's already sowing and doing. This is where growth happens. This is where I've seen the most, like all of a sudden you look back from a season, you're like, man, I slowed down and it seems like I'm light years ahead. I started listening instead of speaking and asking and all of a sudden I've got everything my heart desires. There's a part in Genesis where Abraham's kind of complaining to God and it says that the eternal one comes to him in a vision, kind of a waking dream is how the scriptures describe it. And the eternal one says to Abraham, don't be afraid, Abram. I am always your shield and your protector. Your reward for loyalty and trust will be immense. I love that this poem is in there because I don't know how that would be different for any of us in an answer to so many prayers. Abram then answers the eternal who shows up in a walking dream to him. It sounds just whiny as can be. Uh, he's like, what could you possibly give me that would make any difference in my life? After all, I'm still childless. He's got this one thing that he needs that just is distracting him from everything else. Once I have this, everything will show up. He says, after all, I'm still childless. And Eliza of Damascus stands to inherit all that I own. Dun, dun, dun. Since you've not given the gift of children to me, my only heir will be one of the servants born in my household. He's just a whiny bee. Like, he's just... There's, the eternal shows up in a walking dream, and I know this is a poem, but anyway, like, would we be there? Would I be there? Would I whine if God met me face to face, even if it was a dream? I'd be like, man, I was hoping things would be different. I really wanted this. What's going on? What could you really do? What could you really do that's going to affect my situation since I don't have fill in the blank? And it says immediately the word of the eternal comes on him. The eternal one says, no, Abram, this man will not be your heir. None, uh, no one but your very own child will be heir for you. And God takes him outside and shows him something. And it says, the eternal one says, look up at the stars and try to count them if you can. There are too many to count. Your descendants will be as many as the stars. Verse 6 tells us that Abram believed God and trusted in his promises and God counted it to his favor as righteousness. I don't know what your background is in Scripture, but if you look at this story, Abram has one kid. And yes, from that one kid, Jesus is in line of the descendants of Abraham. And from Jesus, everyone in the world becomes part of Abram's family. Now this may be different. Abram has this dream, he wants some kind of heir, and he's whining to the eternal. And then God says, look at the stars. I don't know what Abram was thinking after that, but he seems like a whiny dork. And so instantly, I'm guessing he's like, we're going to be, because back then, it was how many kids you had. He's probably dreaming for 12 kids. Now, he has one, one kid. Am I right? He has two? Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. Thank you. I'm a single parent, so I look past the other details. First one, and I'm the only, I'm a firstborn, so really the firstborn is the only one that matters. So um, I really appreciate that. Uh, So he's got two kids, but it's not, um, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, that's why I, I yeah, yeah, I'm there. Because he, and he still tries to take matters into his own hands after this. He gets a promise from God. He's waiting. It doesn't happen fast enough. He does it on his own terms. But how do, this poem, there's so much of life from the not being patient enough to wait and trying to take matters into our own hands to the whininess of our prayers all the time to uh, realizing that God's answer, because Abraham does have descendants that, that spread like the stars, but it doesn't look maybe like he's thinking it's going to look. But if you just trust it, and it's, he had enough trust here that it was counted to him as righteousness, if we just trust and slow down and trust that God's got a bigger picture for us, there's a dream, and yes, it might not look exactly like what you thought, or maybe the dream is right, but what that spells out in the future is going to look different. Can we trust that maybe the dream is from him, but maybe where we're at here and now is where we're supposed to be, and it's going to get us there. And yes, it might not look exactly like we think now, but we're going to trust that it's even going to be better. It's going to be what we need, what we want. It's going to be that fulfillment. We're going to experience him through it. How do we apply these messages, this Paul getting imprisoned and seeing the benefit from him, and Abram whining and wanting something different, and God still instilling this hope that, don't worry, something's happening. I think there's four ways uh, that are worth our attention this morning, and there's probably more, but these are the four I came up with. Be aware of our desire for control. There's so much insecurity in our situations where we just want to just even control them. We don't even care if we're headed in the right direction. We still want to hold the wheel. We want to be the one who's deciding every hope and turn. And you have that permission. God says, go for it. Run, do it on your own. But we're given another option, that option to trust that he's working, that he's perfecting, that he's taking us somewhere. Now, I don't know about you, but I've tried pulling dreams up a mountain myself, and it is a lot of work, and it's exhausting. And even when you make it, you can be happy for a little bit, and then you collapse in exhaustion. And I've been on moments where I'm riding along when God's taken me somewhere, where I finally gave up the, this needs to be me, and let him do something. There's so many times we just don't want to waste time in the process of getting there, so we try to speed things up. Uh, maybe it's surprisingly longer, surprisingly shorter than we imagined, um, or... We just need to trust that what we have right now is possibly better than what we could have even imagined if we just settle into it a little bit. There's so many uh, are hesitant to think that life can be good if it's not something you planned. If something surprising shows up in your door, so many times if you people watch, if you listen to yourself, your friends, those around you, it's, well, this isn't what I was expecting. And you're instantly, we instantly gravitate towards a, since we weren't expecting it, this must be a bad thing. It's not we weren't expecting it, so it's, ooh, this could be a good thing. Nine times out of ten, when I see someone hit some kind of surprise in life, it's like, oh, this isn't what was planned. And so we go to this, like, well, what? we don't trust that God surprises us. And it obviously shows we don't. And I'm in the same boat. Like, i got to be like, Luke, why, whoa, this is looking great. Why didn't I instantly think there's a chance that this could be good for me. And so we've got to start looking at our desire for control. This, like, I didn't plan this, so I can't enjoy it, that it's here. And slow down and think that maybe this is God. And to trust that maybe there's so many aspects of your future that you have no control over that may be putting trust in something bigger. 
I don't even know where I'm going to end that sentence. Maybe there's just something in that that is just going to help the pieces fall into place. The next is acknowledge your expectations. It's not even just where you want to go and this need to control where you want to go. We've got expectations. And so many times, especially today, I want to talk about not just your own expectations, because I think we've addressed that, but the expectations we throw out there for other people. Well, this person acted this way, and this just throws my whole plan off. Doesn't my mom realize what she's doing to me by asking for this, or friendships, or... I saw, I witnessed someone get really frustrated at their friend. Like, You've been acting this way, and this has been making me feel like this. And the friend's like, oh, I'm sorry, I was, I've been going through this in my life, and I actually thought I was helping. And all of a sudden, you get this 10,000-foot view, and this friend's been an amazing friend, and this one's just... You just look different than I thought you were supposed to look. And all of a sudden, that's would be like, whoa, I guess I'm an idiot here. Who just didn't take the time to be like, what's going on? This looks different than I thought. And so we've got expectations and expectations for people. But do we trust that God's working through them as well? So many times, the places I've gotten to in life have been through experiences with other people. Someone crosses my path that I didn't expect and be like, man, they were supposed to be there. This relationship was supposed to take me somewhere. I was supposed to learn something from this. I had an opportunity to give of myself somewhere that was just exciting someone asked for coffee with me this last week that came to bloom a couple times last summer um, and is writing an article they're on the uh, neighborhood council they're writing an article on uh, different things and we nerded out for like two hours on dorky church stuff but especially bloom and i left afterwards feeling just like jazzed and I almost didn't take it at the beginning. So I'm like, eh, this looks like they want something from me. Like, do I have time for this? I've been really picky about uh, timing, just because you don't have a ton of time. But it felt like I should go, and I went, and it ended up being so fulfilling. I think I read the, like, rode the high off of that experience for days afterwards and probably still have a little bit. But if I analyzed it too much and didn't just trust my gut or think that maybe God has put this across my path, but there is something better happening here. The other thing is, you, we're talking about this being grace and God changing us and grace to change. Do we give other people grace to change? Or do we hold them to these strict standards? And how is that any different than religious Christianity? It might not be the same list. You've got your own list, but you're holding people to some list. And if they mess up, you're judging and you're mad and you're punishing and you're acting like what we hate about religion. But it's just on a personal level and it's my own values. Well, they came across my values wrong. And you're, okay, where's the grace for someone else to change. Something to think about. Recognize that you may not know the best timing. I think this is a huge one because there's so many of us that know, like, man, if this could happen tomorrow, it just seems like it would line up because then we can have babies and then my job can come after that or whatever. You've got the timing down just right. How many people have you ever talked to that the timing has turned out just right? I, I have not met one yet that their planned timing. Now, the timing might still work out just right in hindsight where you're like, man, that really worked out exactly like it needed to be, but we spend all this energy planning things out that tomorrow you're going to hit a bump and you're going to have to take a left, and there goes your plan. There goes the 40 hours you spent last week on your business plan, and now you hit a bump, and it looks completely different than what you thought. Um, there's so much pressure to feel like confident about where you're going to, like this boldness, like I'm marching forward, this is my plan, I'm going to get it. And I'm going to show everyone else. There's this confidence that, like, I think holds us back sometimes. Like, yeah, we can be confident that God's with us, that we're heading in the right place, but that this plan that you set that's going to happen, I've seen so many people stick to the plan to end up in the weeds and keep trugging through the weeds for years before they were like, man, I should have stopped them. Like, yeah, we were all thinking that, and 
hinting rather loudly. We thought you were hearing that, like, why just switch, switch your thoughts, switch your ideas, switch your plans, switch your business model. This obviously isn't still working, so why can't we change? Why can't we go around things? Why can't we be fluid? So in these moments when we find pressure that we wish the future could come sooner or think it needed to happen sooner or that we might even be wrong because it hasn't happened right now, maybe we just need to slow down, to listen, to see that what's right in front of us and maybe even use this season as a season of learning. What do I need to learn right now? That seems like the follow-up question to recognize that we might not have the best timing. Maybe there's something I need to learn right now and what is that? Um, and the last thing is avoid overanalyzing every possibility. This, is, again, is with the planning stuff, but we spend so much time on which possibility is the right one, what's the left. As followers of Jesus, he says, it's better that I leave because I sent my Holy Spirit on the inside of you. He doesn't say that you can find your exact path in the Scriptures. He says the Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you Are we listening? Are we following? Do we trust our gut? Do we trust that that could be God? Do we trust that even if we're wrong, it's okay that he can steer us back on path, that others around us can be in this with us? Can we trust our gut? Or do we have to overanalyze things? Because sometimes analyze is way wrong. I'll figure out all my numbers and my pros and cons, and this is the way I should go. And there's that gut that says, but this seems like the answer. And I've taken times like this, the right hand where the analyzing and it, yeah, it seemed to work out and I've taken the times where it seemed like my gut was taking me somewhere where the Holy Spirit was leading me and man, I've been surprised. Like this hangout this last week, we were like, man, I, I needed that. But I trusted something beyond what logic told me to do. Are you someone who's overanalyzing every single possibility? Do you need to slow down and trust I'm going way off my notes. I'm just reading through a couple things just to make sure that I'm not missing something really cool. When we're considering the future together, can we still be present in the day-to-day? Having hope when a future seems shaky or unforeseen or even scary or uncontrollable doesn't mean that we can't still plan, but can we hold it with hands open instead of hands closed? This is my plan. Can we... This feels like the right plan, where if the wind takes it somewhere else or something else is dropped in your hands, your hands are open, you're ready, we're, we're willing to receive versus uh, I'm clinging with everything I have, that white fist, that knuckle to something else. Um, can we learn to live in the present day? Can we look for more balance? Can we reflect and be honest with ourselves, where we're at, where we want to go? Let's people who let's be a group, let's be a community who's not obsessed with tomorrow, with not obsessed with all of us getting some, I don't know, up some mountain and just experience life together. Can this be a safe place where we come and we share and we can be able to be honest with what we're excited about and where we're hoping we're going, but we can be honest with the struggle and how hard it is, but we can be open with one another. To the place where maybe someone's like, hey, maybe it's not the right timing. Or maybe it's time to let go of that or change course. And we don't get defensive and put our shields up and like, who are you to tell me, Nikki, what's right? And we trust that we got each other's back and that this is a safe place. That all of us 
are attempting to follow this Holy Spirit on the inside and are attempting to go places that seem scary and unknown and the timing isn't right. But in this, we can find this trust, we can find this peace, we can find this hope that just settles the dust of all that stuff that seems to be stirred up around us. I think in a society, in a day, in an age, that there just seems to be a scandal on every time you open the newspaper of who knows what. Every industry in the book seems to just be, is just all over the place. Being able to see a people group that has this baseline hope, has this baseline trust, like I think, I think there's something valuable here, not just for us, but even for someone in your life watching. Um, let's pray quick and go to discussion. Jesus, we just thank you for this opportunity we have to... Uh, Renew our trust and hope in you. We just ask for the patience and the eyes to see that you're at work on the inside of all of us and that, that rest to put it in your hands. We invite you in right now. We hand our lives over to you. We ask for your leading and your guiding and your assistance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.